0: Heavenly Father, as we think about yesterday's referendum, we are grateful to you for our nation and as our own Prime Minister extolled yesterday the fact that we can make decisions about our government by uh, by voting one vote per person. Uh, We're grateful to you, Father, for giving us such a wonderful system and a wonderful country. And uh, at this time when we may be feeling flat from the result of yesterday, Uh, We ask above all for your care and compassion uh, to those who who, uh, are our Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters, uh, that you would care for them and know that uh, that they are cared for. Uh, And Heavenly Father, we pray for, uh, uh, for the unity that we so desire. And Heavenly Father, we also know and acknowledge before you that the great unifier is your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we ask uh, that uh, more and more Australians would find their unity in him. uh, And uh, we pray for ourselves now that you would speak to us powerfully of your son through your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, the belief in life after death is not uncommon. It seems to me that there are plenty of people, certainly a lot more people than we would see in church on a Sunday, who believe that death is not the end and there is something more after. But I suspect that for most of those people, the life after death that they believe in is a sort of a consolation prize you know, a prize that's given to someone who's missed out on the real prizes uh, to make them feel better. To be honest, I can't think of a competition that I've seen lately that even had consolation prizes. Maybe they're going out of fashion. And maybe that's because, well, the trouble with consolation prizes is that They're not much consolation, are they? I mean, if you missed out on the real prize, you're probably thinking, look, I don't want your stupid consolation prize. I would rather just be sad. It must have been very sad that day when Jesus arrived in the household of Lazarus and his sisters Mary and Martha. Uh, Lazarus himself, their brother, had passed away just four days previously. The house was full of family and friends who had come to pay their respects. But none of that would have taken away the pain that Lazarus had gone. And as we commonly do in those early stages after a loss, Mary and Martha were running through the if-only scenarios. Did you notice that both of them, the first thing that they said to Jesus when they saw him was, Lord, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. If only. If only things could go on just as they were. When we have lost some wine, it is typically that we will look to the past. We will look back and just wish that we had those times again. A solid conviction about life after death would provide some comfort, wouldn't it? It wouldn't take away all the pain by any means because we're still facing life without our loved one, which may for us be decades of missing that person. But it would have to provide some comfort so Jesus gently tested Martha, this is in verse 23, John 11 23, just to see how real the comfort was to her. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Jewish people of their bent, influenced by the, the teaching of the Pharisees, believed in a resurrection at the end. They had read the book of Daniel, they had read passages like the one that Brian read to us from Isaiah. Uh, which speaks of death being swallowed up forever. So Martha was able to give Jesus the conventional response. Verse 24, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But what tone of voice do you think Martha used as she said that? Oh yes, I know, I know. He'll rise again, but it's not much consolation. She might have had a perfectly orthodox belief in life after death, but when the chips are down, how much comfort is that really? How much does it really change your life? The German thinker Karl Marx famously said that religion is the opiate of the masses. He seemed to think that stories of religion, which he didn't believe, of course, were being used by the powerful to keep the masses under control, You know, as though the promise of a great life after death would enable people to put up with being oppressed in this world. I actually wonder if Karl Marx ever met a real person. I don't think his statement squares with reality at all. In my experience, it's only the most deeply committed person of faith whose earthly life, whose actual conduct is shaped by a belief in life after death. A conventional belief in life after death doesn't really change life. The words which Jesus said to Martha next are not conventional. No one had ever said anything like them before. No one has ever said anything like them since. Have a look at verse 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That resurrection which you believe in, Jesus says to Martha, that's spoken about in the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Daniel, that that resurrection is no longer something just out there. It's no longer a matter of mere words. It is a present reality. It is present to you right now, Martha, because you see, Martha, says Jesus, I am the resurrection. This is one of Jesus' famous I am statements uh, throughout John's gospel. He's also said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the good shepherd. In using those words, I am, Jesus is alluding to the Old Testament name of God. It's one of those many subtle but clear ways that Jesus communicated to his listeners that he is the creator God come amongst us as a human. He was saying that he brings with him the divine power to make those Old Testament words about a resurrection into a living, breathing, present reality. Jesus is going to go on to demonstrate this when he comes to Lazarus' tomb. But before we get to the tomb, we're given a precious record of Jesus' own emotional response to death in these next few verses. Uh, he now saw Lazarus's other sister, Mary. She was the more, not quite shy, but she was the less activist one. So she'd remained in the house when Jesus came. But she now came out to him and it, it, John says, she fell at his feet and says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I think if we picture her here, She sees him, she just falls at his feet and she breaks down into uncontrollable sobbing. I think that's what happened. Jesus himself became emotional. And it's not only with the grief of Lazarus' death, the the, the word in the original seems to suggest that he he was angry, he was just quietly seething. Why would Jesus be angry at this point? Do you think perhaps maybe he's angry at the very thing that we've been talking about, that that people's faith is so weak that the promise of a resurrection just doesn't seem to be figuring in their grief at all, doesn't even seem to be changing the way they grieve? I wonder if it's the faithlessness that he sees around him which is making him angry, even at the same time, of course, as having compassion on the grief that he sees. Jesus clearly felt strong emotion at Lazarus' death, both this, this anger and the quiet sadness with which he wept in verse 35. Now, for the trivia night in two weeks' time, I can't promise that this will be one of the questions, but the shortest verse in the Bible is this one here, John 11:35. Jesus wept. I think it's important and it's comforting to know that Jesus had a strong emotional response to death, isn't it? But the emotional response is not enough. The people who were there that day and who saw Jesus weeping, they said, see how much he loved him. And yes, that's right. But they asked the obvious question. Verse 37... If he opened the eyes of a blind man, surely he could have prevented his friend from dying. For you and me, if we have a friend who dies, the best that we can do is to weep with those who weep. But for Jesus merely to weep, that is not enough. Where could there be any hope anywhere in this world if the one who announces himself as the resurrection and the life could do no more than weep at his friend's grave. So Jesus will now demonstrate that he can do more than weep. Take away the stone, he said. Now, the people there were realists. They might have had the professional mourners out there being paid to to, to play their flutes and so forth. But they were realists. They, They said, Lord, there's going to be a bad smell. But Jesus pressed on. And you know how the story goes. Lazarus, come out. Verse 44. The dead man came out his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. After four days in the tomb, Jewish belief was that the spirit would have departed altogether. So if there were degrees of difficulty for Jesus, this would have been a more difficult one. From the modern viewpoint, if a person had been wrapped up in their grave clothes inside the tomb for four days, dead, buried and rotting, there there can never be a scientific explanation for this event. This was a demonstration in real space and real time that Jesus is who he claims to be. And that's why I think it's profoundly important that we take John at his word, that that the events unfolded here just as John has written. Because, you know, if Jesus didn't demonstrate in real space and time, in real human history, that he has the power to call the dead out of their graves, what, what, what would make us think that there is life after death? A miracle report like this should not be believed lightly. And I don't believe it lightly. But I do believe it. And if you believe, as I do, that Jesus really did call Lazarus out of the grave that day on a real day in the calendar, just like today, in a real place on this earth, then there is a true basis or a life-changing hope. The man who called himself the resurrection and the life has walked on this earth. And uh, he said these things. This is back in chapter 5. He said, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to those whom he chooses. You see, the man who walked this earth, who called himself the resurrection and the life, he gives life to those he chooses. He gives life to his friends. And a time is coming, this is chapter 5, verse 28, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Either to life or to eternal punishment. He has said he is going to call us out of our graves and he has demonstrated that he can. And to his friends, to those who believe in him, that he is the Christ and the Lord, he will give life forever. Lazarus, of course, would die again. Though we understand that he was a believer in Jesus, so he would also inherit the eternal life he will rise again at the last day the only one i guess who got raised twice but he will rise again at the last day never to die so for those who truly believe in jesus there is a solid and a real hope a life changing hope the practical instruction in john's gospel is always Believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. It's always believe and trust in Jesus. But, but I want to expand on that today a little bit by saying, let this faith that you have in Jesus be a life-changing faith, which produces a life-changing hope. A hope like this would powerfully shape your present life, wouldn't it? You would pray with conviction. Conviction. You'd urge family and friends to believe in Jesus also. You'd submit even the most intimate aspects of your life to Jesus' will, wouldn't you? You'd give money to the work of Jesus' gospel in truly sacrificial fashion. You'd give your time, as we give this morning, to gathering, to encourage the brothers and sisters who share your hope, to keep on trusting that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. And we would look forward to seeing Jesus in that resurrected life. Just as we look forward to certain earthly events, which are, you know, maybe it's a It's a special event in the life of a relative. Maybe it's a 60th wedding anniversary, uh, uh, the birth of an important person in in the family and friend network. We look forward to things in life, but we would, if, if if we had this hope, we would look forward to seeing Jesus in that resurrected life, wouldn't we? And in those horrible circumstances when somebody has died, Well, if that person died in hope of the resurrection, well, we would take real comfort from knowing that they will rise again, wouldn't we? If you're bitterly disappointed that the voice has not been successful, or if you're deeply anxious about the events in Israel and Palestine, or if you're hurting badly from something that is is closer to home than either of those things, then even though you know that a whole lot of stubbornly real problems persist in this world, you'll still take real comfort from knowing that there is a resurrection. Would such comfort take away all the pain and sorrow? Well, no, of course not. But even when we are mourning, Christians do not mourn without hope. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for real hope that comes from you having sent your Son, the resurrection and the life into the world. Please, Father, help us to trust him truly and to look forward to the fulfilment of the real hope that he brings. Amen.